Okay, welcome everyone to the next episode of InfoSec Whiskey. I am your host, Ushi, and my co-host today is Steve and Nick. And our guest is um, the guy who started Dallas Hackers, Wirefall. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So um, I like to get these started, like just like go ahead and hit record because I feel like every time that we like chat with our guests beforehand, like we miss so much cool like banter. So um, yeah, you, always, you, always, you always get that later of as we were talking about before the show started. Exactly. Or like in my case, um, when I interviewed Tinker, I we had like an hour long interview before I realized I didn't hit record. Oh, no. Um, well, he, and that one still went on like three hours, didn't it? So it did. It was yeah. two. It was two hours after that. It was, and, and you know, I kind of went into it with like, if he wants to talk, I'm gonna let him talk, just because you know he's got such great stories, and and it was it was a ton of fun. But so um, so I'm so excited that you're here with us. We uh, you know I we had kind of like talked before, and of course we were on the panel together with Thinkers, um, TacoCon. TacoCon? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it ended up having to be yeah, something else. EnchiladaCon? Burrito, burrito Con? Yeah, Burrito. I'm thinking it might have been Burrito Con. But yeah, like that was a ton of fun. And, and then um, when I went to the virtual Dallas Hackers um, that you guys streamed, I think it was like last week or two weeks ago. That so was Pwn just... School. It was uh, yes, Pwn School. Pwn School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, you're right. It was, yeah, Philip Wiley's. And I got the like awesome opportunity to just kind of listen to everybody talk about you and what an impact you've had on their life um for those that are in that dallas hacker community and i'm like blessed enough to be um virtually connected with a, a bunch of those people on twitter and um it was really neat to just kind of hear all those people talk about you and that kind of made me realize like i think you and i had kind of talked before a little bit about you know you being on this podcast and um that it was then that it hit me that i wanted to talk about like mentorship in infosec because you clearly um, you know, have done that for a lot of people. And, and so that's, I'm super excited. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, let's, before we get started in all the questions and stuff I have for you, let's talk a little bit about the whiskey. So for anybody who's, who's listened to the podcast, what I like to do whenever I have the ability is to kind of match the whiskey with the, um, with the guest. And when I, I, I did a, I did a Google search and was trying to come up with like mentorship and whiskey and how could we kind of meld that together. And when I did that, I kind of stumbled upon this story that I'm just, I'm thrilled to be able to share with people who aren't aware. So um, for those of you um, who, I don't know, didn't read in the description that we're gonna put, um, the whiskey that we're doing is called Uncle Nearest. And which one did you get, Wirefall? Did you get the, the small batch or the premium? I got the 1884, not the 1865. Okay, so um, they only had the 1856 at my store, oh, okay. yeah. and uh, so that's the one that I got. And it's um, so I. What's cool about this this bottle? I love, I love the design of like how different whiskey distillers like create their bottles and and what they do with them. And this is just really kind of a neat, um, like really classic like design. The one that I have, it's just basically like a black and gold and with some maroon in it. And it says Uncle Nearest. It has a um, it has like a, a cabin on the front with some trees. Smoothest whiskey in Tennessee, it says. And so what I learned was that Uncle Nearest was um, the first black master distiller and he was actually a mentor to Jack Daniel which I think is super super cool and um, if you will like indulge me I have a, I have a cool little story here to share um, so this is this is from the makers of Uncle Nearest and um, it says the hills and hollows around Lynchburg Tennessee um, doesn't easily give up their secrets. The whispers have always been there, undiminished by the passage of time and the buzz of the larks and the mockingbirds. There, where Tennessee whiskey was born, the 
story quietly endured for nearly two centuries, kept alive through the recollections of kinfolk and neighbors and faded ink on brittle yellow pages. Was it possible that the real godfather of Tennessee whiskey was a man the world never knew? Was it true that a former slave became a master distiller, helped perfect the process still followed today, and taught his craft to others who would find worldwide fame and become whiskey legends in their own right? Let us tell you the story of the man they called Uncle Nearest. Back then, the good folks of Lincoln County were a highly knowledgeable bunch when it came to farming, milling, and the raising of fat swine. They, all, they also knew their whiskey. Nothing pleased them more than the sight of steam and smoke snaking skyward from the still house on Louse Creek. It signaled to those in the hollow that Nearest Green was hard at work making whiskey that surpassed all others. Uncle Nearest's whiskey was soon known as far as Huntsville and Nashville for its uncommon smoothness and character. Many believed he may have been responsible for helping perfect what became known as the Lincoln County process, where whiskey is filtered through layers of sugar, maple, charcoal, a process that defines Tennessee whiskey and makes it unlike any other distilled spirit in the world. The scattered remnants of cut stone still remain, but the old distillery on Laos Creek has been gone for generations now, and tin and timber beams no match for the rigors of nature and time. Yet the the legacy of Uncle Nearest is alive and strong and ready to be shared by those who enjoy an exceptional whiskey. And those who believe in giving due credit to a man who worked in the shadows during crystal clear water into gold. Turning, I'm sorry, turning crystal clear water into gold. So I think this is such a cool, um, it's such a kind of a, a cool history lesson that this, you know, during a time I think it's neat now that people are finally starting to um, understand that there's been so much that needed to be um, kind of rectified in terms of race and equality. And so I just, it was really neat for me to find this um, when I was just kind of looking for something to, you know, combine that, that mentorship that we um, promote in InfoSec. Um, and it just, it was such a, it was such a, a cool blending. And I read this really cool article um, where there was a, a journalist actually ended up moving to Lynchburg um, during the time that they went to like write an article about this. Like they had just found out about Uncle Nearest and they went out and they were talking to people in Lynchburg and they were like, Hey, you know, what do you think about this guy? And like the fact that this is like, you know, coming to light that he was really pretty much like, you know, kind of, you know, like taught Jack Daniel and was like such a, a huge, um, you know, figure and, and what Tennessee whiskey is. And, and in Lynchburg, they were like, like we've always known it like that was just normal and um i just think that's it's super cool so i'm super excited to share this with you it was, I mean, it was very oh go ahead no no go ahead uh thank you for the history i was very happy to see as well that the the distilling is done by the uh uh, uh relatives so it is the yes. tradition has gone down it's not just being used as a brand or marketing like uncle ben's or aunt jemima it was actually uh you know it is the relatives of uncle nearest and what I thought was really interesting is that when they decided to create this particular brand, the Uncle Nearest brand, um, that actually came from the relatives. Um, as they were talking to the relatives and trying to figure out the best way to honor him, um, this is what the relatives wanted. It wasn't just a gimmick that they were doing. It was actually something that they wanted to be able to, you know, remember him and honor him and, and what he what he gave to the, um, you know, to, to the whiskey community. So I, I think it's just, I think it's cool. So um, you want to, you want to pop it together? Sure. All right. This is my favorite part. I, I try never to um, open it before we do a podcast. All right, here we go. Let's see. I only cheat a little. I pre with my fingernail across the band, but that's it. Understand. Woo. That's a good pop, right? Yeah. So also, given my proclivities for whiskey, I will uh, go into this open-minded. I will not judge that he taught Jack Daniels. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> and what I told Ushi before is like at the beginning of the night, I'm usually real picky about the whiskey, but about four or five in, yeah. it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, plastic bottles, here you come, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
so something cool too is that oh, like um that. in the i haven't i haven't even like smelled it yet so in the, the a little booklet comes with the 1856 i don't know if it does with the um it didn't the, i saw that though yeah so yeah what was so what's cool is in the very back of it has some um some uh, cocktails recipes and so um what steve and i decided to do steve, steve and i are in the same location so what we decided to do was we pre-made the mix for what they call tennessee gold which is um it's two ounces of whiskey three quarters ounces of fresh lemon juice and then three quarter ounces of honey syrup which the honey syrup is just equal parts water and honey heat it up and then mix it all together so we made the honey syrup um, earlier today and then we put everything together in the glass and uh so that we could enjoy a cocktail with it because it's 100 proof which is is i was gonna say yeah the 1856 is 100 this is only 93 but uh yeah I'm, I don't I'm know. sure I'm sure the seven percent there are the seven yeah. percent will be will be a huge difference. All right, so let's let, what do we smell? I said I'm sure you guys have a more sophisticated palate, but I really do like the smoothness of it. It's very yeah. smooth. Yeah. Oh, that is really smooth for being a hundred proof. Wow. I um I find that when I taste whiskey, when I first smell it, I don't always smell very much. And then when I go back in after a, after a sip, I'm able to pick up on a lot of the notes that it has. I definitely like, and I, I didn't pull up <laughs> tasting notes. I usually do, but um, I feel like I do get a little bit of that maple. Mm, I like that. Mm. Yeah. I'm not the biggest Tennessee whiskey fan. Uh, I, I am over bourbon. I'm sorry, but uh, I'm I'm a bourbon. <laughs> I know, I'm, I know you are. Yeah, but but uh, this is this is actually really really good. Yeah, this is really good. I'm I'm impressed. All right, I'm, I also when I was pouring, I went ahead and uh, added my my whiskey to my to my cocktail. So, oh, that's good. Gosh, I love honey water in cocktails it's so good so what is honey water it's honey and water it's it's equal parts honey mixed with water just heat it up so that you can combine the two and uh make sure that you hold the lid on the top before you shake steve found out the hard way <laughs> i bet and, that doesn't uh, come off easy yeah yeah listen i never claimed to be a bartender no, it actually, but it did. It came out really good. We did, we did have one earlier tonight with um, Woodford because I, like, I have this weird thing about opening the the whiskey before the podcast, so um, I didn't want to try it. But um, it was really good with Woodford. But I definitely think I like it more with this because um, the Uncle Nearest, especially this one, like it's, it's definitely like the the Woodford. I think is, I think it's like, like maybe ninety proof. And with this being so much higher, um, it definitely, it, it, it goes well with the, with the sweetness. All right, so let's get into it. So I wanted to like kind of ask you, um, for those that aren't aware, like, um, can you talk a little bit about um, kind of Dallas Hackers and, and how you, you know, what made you decide to start that and how that all kind of went? Sure. Went down? The, uh, the Dallas Hackers would have celebrated its seventh anniversary during uh, COVID-19. Uh, so unfortunately, we weren't able to. But no. uh, um, so we've been around a little over seven years now. It, uh, the, the genesis of it actually was I did quite a bit of work for the state of Texas. Uh, so all of the offices are down in Austin. Okay. And there is a group there called AHA. They go by Austin Hackers Anonymous. But uh, it was so different. I found them when I was working down there and it was so different than anything I'd seen anywhere else. Um, some in good ways, some in not so good ways, but it was just radically different than anything I'd experienced. Uh, the good things to me were that they encouraged and in fact mandated participation. So it was participate or don't come. <laughs> and it was, the fire talk format 
which was okay. not prevalent anywhere else that I'd been been going. Um, normally, it would be an hour, hour and a half talking head, and that was it. So uh, those two combinations. So you didn't have to get up and give a half hour, hour speech. You get up and talk for five minutes on something you're working on. Sit down. Uh, in fact, mm -hmm. they were so belligerent about it that if you were talking after ten minutes, they would start throwing things at you, making noise, and you know. It was a hard and fast rule, um, and it was a hard and fast rule that you participate or do not come. The uh, and participation they did allow. You know, if you if you were not local, you could just do the message boards. So uh, when I was out of uh, not in Austin, I could participate that way. Nice. Uh, but that whole and I think I understand why they did that. I mean, at the time, it was R Snake, HD Moore, Druid. All of these people that, of course, have fanboys, fangirls, um, they didn't want that. They wanted everybody there that was there to teach and learn. So nice. when I stopped working down there, I'm, I'm up in Dallas, and, and we had a decent security uh, community. Uh, there's, uh, we've had DC214 forever, our local DEF CON group. Uh, we had NAZIG, North American Information Security Group, that ended up going uh, nationally going belly up. Uh, they turned that into uh, North Texas Cybersecurity Group. Uh, we have an OWASP chapter. We have a 2600 chapter, a bunch of hacker spaces and maker spaces. And it's, it, you know, it, it was a decent community, but it didn't have what I was looking for. I mean, I would have just rathered gone and attended something because it's not, uh, you know, that's a lot easier. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just showing up and not having to do anything and leaving right. whenever the hell you want. Then creating um, something from scratch. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely encourage if you know get involved with your local community and 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 participate and encourage and and volunteer for those things that you love and are passionate about and find within the community. But if you don't see it, don't be afraid to start it. Right. And uh, so that's what I did. I uh, when I announced it, the first I think one of the first groups I announced it to was uh, DC two one four, and the initial response from several people were there was we don't need another security group. Yeah. Um, you know, it, as if it was somewhat competitive, and it's like, you know, uh, you know, it's different. Right. Um, uh, also announced it at NASIG at the time, uh, but they called me up and asked me to talk about it. And uh, my expectation was we'd get, like most of the other security groups there, maybe a dozen, maybe up to 30 people. Yeah. Uh, meeting up and just talking about cool stuff with a different format. And... Uh, Really, that format, the, the, what draws me to that is, one, it does encourage more participation from new people. It's a lot easier format to, to, to get your teeth into. But also, you get exposure to so many different ideas. Yes, you can't do a deep dive in 10 minutes on reverse engineering Chinese elf binaries. No, you can't. Right. But you can give somebody enough information that if they are interested, they can come talk to you afterwards. They can go start Googling. They can, they, they've now found out about something they didn't necessarily know about before. And yeah, you get can... that wider exposure. It could spark an interest that somebody didn't know about beforehand. Right. I can yeah. also imagine an exchange of ideas with somebody else that might be specialized in a certain area and you might be caught up, stuck. You know, you hit a roadblock yourself because you're not a specialist in that area. You know, I can imagine that'd be really useful too. Yeah, and, and, and not every talk is a talk. Some talks are, this is what I'm doing and here's the problems I'm having and soliciting yeah. information from the, 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 uh, the, the group. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and then forming these with all of the, the different formations of, uh, <clears throat> projects from people meeting there has been amazing and spinning off uh, uh, the lab.ms, a hackerspace originated from their uh, Phil Wiley's Pwn School <clears throat> spun out of DHA. Um, so all these people getting to meet like-minded people and create some amazing things. But uh, um, but really the, the whole thing with, I still go to all the, well, I will, I went to and will again go to at some point. Right. All the local meetups were uh, usually six to eight a month, and um, but they are nice. mostly the one one and a half hour talking heads. And if it's something you're interested about, you can get a lot more information than in a fire talk. But if it's not, it's going to be a really bad night for you. <laughs> you know, when it, when I when I when I show up and it's about GDPR, I'm like, oh god, <laughs> right. Yeah, which is an yeah. important subject. It's just not my cuppa. You might not want an hour and a half of it. I, I totally get that. And I didn't consider that before. Like, I think that's, that's actually really cool that because it's, it's everybody talking for 10 minutes at a time, you're getting like 
not even just different topics, but you're getting so many different perspectives of what people think about different things that are going on in security. So that's really, that's really interesting. So how many, like how many new people would you get, you know, on average, like in, in the recent years? So our, yeah, our, our, our average attendance, um, well, and, and first, what it's become is nothing like what it started out. I never envisioned this. And the reason for that really is um, in the beginning, um, I saw the need to build a team. I, I wasn't going to be able to do this alone. It is a lot of work and got very, very lucky. Uh, I asked Tinker to be a co-organizer. He started showing up early on, so several, like maybe five or six meetups in. And uh, uh, Phil was there at the very first. Uh, he's He's not on on the team, but he's definitely a, a proponent of, and we, we are proponents of Pwn School, so. Yeah, and Philip with, rocks. I no, love he does. <laughs> yeah. That man is the, the Chuck Norris of InfoSec. He's, yeah. <laughs> and then some, right? Yeah, yeah we, we have, we've been co corresponding about um, getting him on the podcast, and I just, I absolutely, like, I feel like I want to know where, how, and and I have a feeling you're going to say like, that's not where I was intending, but like, I want to know how it is that you had these amazing people who not only are just like rock stars in InfoSec, but just like have been like, Philip is just known for being just such a nice guy and he's so inclusive and, you know, he reaches out to people and he checks on people. And like, I mean, he's like, he's like a legit badass for those who don't know. Um, like there's, there's pictures floating around on the interwebs of him legit wrestling a bear. Mm -hmm. like yeah. he's like physically a badass but like just as a as a human being like he's just such a neat person and and it seems like that's what you surrounded yourself with at Dallas Hackers yeah and I would like to believe that exists in all the communities it needs a chance to blossom it needs a you know uh, there uh, Phil said he would not have done Pwn School if it weren't for BHA if he hadn't that's seen awesome. that so so really, it's about giving these opportunities, building people up to the point that they, you know, they can show how awesome they are, um, you know, and, and that's what we've tried to do at DHA. One of the, the best speakers that I ever heard um, was a, a law enforcement conference talking about um, creating an environment for people to like, for, you can, you create the environment, right? You, it's kind of that lead a horse to water, you know, you, you can, you can put the best things into something, but like really you're just creating an environment for people to be able to kind of take your lead and, and like go from there. And it, and it seems like you were so successful with that, with Dallas hackers. I, I think a big part of that too, is I talk about the, the, the team building and one of the team members that came early on as well was whiskey neon. Yeah. And, and he embraces the, the cyberpunk hacker vibe. Yeah. He, he is, he turned it from a meetup into an experience you know every month now you go in there and it's this crazy lights techno hacker images all over this giant screen um we have it's really it's a mini con we have lockpick village run by mobius you probably know where his lockpick oh, very lipstick. Cool. yeah yeah she runs that uh we had commander opsec uh that had done the ctf uh, he's moved on and jedi jedi mammoth has been doing that Oh, very cool. So, uh, so it's it's a whole whole experience. We just rebooted. Uh, Quantum Cheap has started up uh, another uh, crypto party. So for those who are just getting into it, they come to Dallas Hackers because they want to understand how to secure themselves online or communicate securely. They're not necessarily going to get the information they're looking from looking for from the talks on stage where you're doing reversing or you know fuzzing or or whatever you're doing hardware hacking that's probably not what they came for so we moved them over to the crypto party room and the reason we have rooms for those who not seen any of the pictures of dallas hackers uh which there should not be any but there do exist some right. uh, <laughs> is uh we we meet at a uh, korean karaoke bar so for the night we have them we have the main room the ballroom and that's where all the talks happen and then we have an entire bank of rooms on one side and we have the ctf lockpick we have a, a merch room, we have the crypto party, and we just have open rooms that if you want to, something inspires you and you want to talk about something, don't disturb the people talking, go into a room, grab a room and 
and have a conversation. I absolutely love that. I, I've been saying for a while now that I wanted to like, like Dallas Hackers is, is one of those, I think it's because I have so many friends. I've, I've been wanting to get out there. And, um, and some of my friends over on the East Coast and I have like talked about, you know, getting together and just doing a kind of road trip out to, to you know, make sure that we're out there for one of the, um, one of the meetups. And like, I did at the time when we first started talking about that, it was mostly just because there were so many Twitter friends that are, you know, part of Dallas hacker, Dallas hackers. And then to find out that you guys are like, yeah, like it's, it's like an event. It's not just mm -hmm. a meetup. And, and that's so awesome. How long did it take to kind of transition into that? We've been at, it really, it was, it was the new venue. That's what revolutionized everything. It was a slow growth process. Initially, we were at a meeting at a, uh, what was it called? Alan Wicker's, just in a side room. And the reason we met there was it was about two miles from my house. <laughs> so that was very convenient. Um, <clears throat> they closed up without notice. We had to Hi. find another place. Uh, you would love the, the, our second venue was in Richardson. So uh, it was called the Tavern on Main. Nice. And it is this, it's one of the oldest buildings in, in the area. The second, we had the entire second floor. The floor was tilted to probably the 15 degree angle with old wood it. planks. And yeah, it was just, it was just nice. beautiful. Um, and I love history and like taverns. Like, yeah, that's awesome. And that's where we grew. Uh, we, 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 we were end up, we were close to filling capacity there every night. Uh, it was an elongated shoebox type of room, which did not make it conducive really to that whole interactive presentation style right. with the person all the way in the front. But but we were having a good time. We had no impetus to leave really um, until uh, one month. I've I've been to every Dallas Hackers except two uh, because of travel, and this was one of those months. It just so happened that Tanker was out traveling as well, so it was the whiskey was there by himself. <clears throat> and at the time that we were there, evidently somebody hacked their point of sale system. Oh no! Uh, fraud was committed. The uh, <sighs> the the owner was nice enough to the next month bring us in and say, uh, um, "Look, you, you you can come back. Just you have to guarantee this is not going to happen." Mm -hmm. And and this is years and years ago. Hopefully things have changed. I, I know I just probably doxed them because I said the name, but at the time I'm like, I cannot guarantee that you're running open wireless and. Windows 95. <laughs> Anybody can do this. And if I were an attacker, I would wait till the hackers are there and attack yeah. you for, yeah, for plausible deniability, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> so I said, I can't <sighs> promise that. We had to go look for another place. We had a one stop mm -hmm. at a, billiard, a billiards den that was just nothing but smoke. Um, didn't work out very well. And then my daughter at the time worked at Family Karaoke as a bartender. Cool. And they had never been open on Wednesdays. Instead, they were looking at opening on Wednesdays. And so we took that opportunity and it was there really that, I mean, the karaoke bar vibe and turning it into a cyberpunk haven. And it, it's really cool too, because at the time now it's, they've actually redone things on the road and it's really nice. At the time though, it's like this beat up old uh, half con I mean, half asphalt, half gravel road, no lighting called Goodnight Lane. Uh, you know, and you're over in K-Town and you, so your people, new people are pulling up and going, I'm not sure I want to be, you know, stray cats are flooding away everywhere as you drive in and, oh, but uh, had a great vibe. Uh, and, uh, that's where we, uh, that's really where it became an event, um, and where it became self-sustaining. You know, at one point we had to constantly try to drive people to talk tanker mm -hmm. whiskey myself. We'd always have a talk in the back pocket cause he didn't want people to show up and not have anything. Mm -hmm. Um, now we have rollovers every month. Yeah, we have, we fill up the, the the speaker slot. We actually have a sign up sheet. That's awesome. and, yeah, I love that. I think it's good too. Like for people who are new, you know, like when you do research on how people learn, um, one of the most effective ways to learn is to teach others, um, because it solidifies you know those concepts in your own mind. And um, so I think that's that's like awesome. That and it pulls people out of their shells that that might not otherwise um, share their knowledge. And and you know it's been my experience that people in this community sometimes you know sometimes we're introverts and um, but 
people are brilliant. And so to, to almost kind of make them, you know, present and, and get out of their, their own like heads is, is really, um, beneficial for them as well as those that get to listen to what they have to say. But had, so go ahead. We had a member, uh, just before the, the, the forced break that she had been a member for most of the time we've been in existence, but it was always a wallflower. Uh, only a few months before had started really interacting with people, but was would always come stand next to the door, watch the talks and then leave. And uh, she was determined because of her daughter, because she was always talking about all this stuff to her daughter and her daughter's like, well, you know, you have to participate. And so she got up on stage and did her first talk nervous as hell and killed it. The entire place was in a standing ovation. It was amazing. You know, that it was, and, and she talked about how it was all for her daughter. You know, this is to show her that you can do anything. You can put, overcome any challenge in life. Nice. Well, that was, I that love that. I was going to say about that too, is I can imagine putting people in a position where they have to talk like that. They're going to have confidence in their skills. You know, they could be highly skilled, but if they have no confidence in it, nobody's going to know. And when you do that to somebody, I, I think that's really a cool idea. And, and in her case, you know, very skilled, but didn't know because she kept it to herself. And now she gets to go up in front of everybody and speak. And I think that's that's really cool, too, to boost, boost people's confidence that, are, that have these skill sets. Because I know that coming into it as a hacker or cybersecurity infosec, you just, a lot of that confidence is, isn't even there um, yep. because of how everyone else outside of our own domain treats us, you know? Yep. yep. The, uh, go ahead. No, I still have an idea of who that person might have been, but we'll have to, I'm going to ask you. I made a note, so don't forget, I'll ask you offline. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure she'd be proud of it. Uh, that was Zen Voodoo Child. That's exactly who I yep. thought it was. Yep. Uh, so we have she's a, awesome. she is absolutely amazing. And um, she's, I, I consider her a friend. She checks on me all the time. She's wonderful. I actually, we were just talking the other day. I thought it was her because we have a, um, we have an InfoSec, we, we started as a workout, like motivation group, um, a private group on, on Twitter. And um, she, she's just such an amazing person. And I do remember when she said that she was getting up to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I, we were all so excited for her and just kind of pushing her. That's so awesome. So I'm, I'm glad that that's exactly who I thought it was. She's what, such what an amazing person. One of the few pictures we have, you know, Dallas Hackers is strictly like people have asked, will we have a, a streaming uh, Dallas Hackers while we're not online? Well, you know, while we're offline, that will never happen. Uh, we do have one of our members, uh, Rainmaker, last year started Fire Talks online, kind of in the vein of DHA and AHA and all the Haas, right. because he was traveling all the time and was never able to make it, but he still wanted that experience. So he's committed to, so now the first Wednesday of every month, he's running fire talks online on the date of DHA instead. So we at least have something. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. What, so. Can we give him a, like, what it, is that? Is that something we can share? Yeah, it's on Twitter. It's at fire talks online. That's awesome. Because, you know, for those of us, I, I was really, um, I'm writing it down online. Um, I was really excited to see that Pwn School was being, you know, streamed because I live in Virginia, so it's not like I could, you know, show up if you guys even were meeting in person. So it was, it was really cool. So I'm excited to to check that out. So I do have. So at what point? Okay, if, do you, if I can jump in really quick. Yeah. Uh, something on Nick that Nick brought up the uh, about the, the, you know, getting the empowering people to speak is definitely a wonderful byproduct of of this but it's not so noble in my intent in that really it's I'm selfish and the, all these people know things I don't know and I want to know all the things. <laughs> so if you don't get up and talk about it, I'll never know about it. Get up and talk about it. And then they go, Oh great. I can talk now. I, this was liberating. Awesome. I'm glad for that. But thank I, What I wanted was the info. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's kind of where this whole podcast came from. Like, there were some people that had like suggested it to me and I thought like, who, who am I? Like, I, you know, I know this much. And I, I said, who, like, I can't talk to these people. They know so much more. And, and I can't even remember who it was now who said, you don't have to know the things. 
um, the other people know the things and you're learning the things from those people. So like, I totally get that. And I love that. Like we should be, you know, this is the, the information age and, and it's great when we can like just get that information from other people. And, and if you, you know, look at a, a sports analogy of, of what you're talking about there, uh, almost every sport, whether it's football or myself, I like hockey, you have the color commentator and you have the play by play. And the color commentator is almost always the former player. They know the ins and outs of, of, of that. The play-by-play -play is a broadcaster. They weren't necessarily even involved in sports. They were they're a broadcaster because right. that's what they do. Uh, you need both of those within that to make a good team. So let me ask you, at what point did you realize that you had um, really mentored so many people at, at, through Dallas Hackers? When they say it, I honestly, I... Um, I, I, I feel like I'm a terrible mentor because to me, a, a mentor is consistent. And if there's one thing that defines what I'm not, it's consistency. I'm, I'm all over the board. <laughs> I, I'm a bit of an extremist on everything. Um, but isn't that our culture though too? Yeah. Like we're some extreme people. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So, I, you know, to me, a good mentor is, is like you said with uh, uh, Phil, somebody going to be following up every week, making sure you're doing everything. And, and my view is, if you need something to ask, I'm there. Um, but uh, otherwise, it's not that I don't care. And I do try to force myself to recognize that I need to go just do these things to check on. But otherwise, I'm, I'm a thousand other places. And I'm, I just don't even think about it and years slip by. And that's not just with hackers. That's with family and friends. And that's bad. <laughs> you know? So you know what, though? Like, I'd like to kind of like showcase that because I think there's a lot of people out there who have the ability to impact others and probably think that they don't have, they think that they don't have the ability to impact others because of the same reasons that you just said, right? They're like, oh, but I have all this stuff going on and like, I don't think about it. And like, it slips my mind and I don't check in with people and I don't like, I'm not consistent, but like, listen, like Wirefall, the other day I listened to it, no less than half a dozen people talk about what a significant impact that you and Dallas Hackers had on their life. So clearly your inconsistency is doing something right, right? Well, I, I was going to say that there could, a passion, you know, a passion being there is very influential, sometimes even more than the actual event of being influential, you know, scheduling stuff and having people come meet you and, and showing them step-by-step step on how to do things, but passionately doing something and if this is something you love and people can see that, it, it works like a fire and it'll spread out that way. And I, I know a lot of people, um, uh, they influence that way. And it seems, it comes across to me that that's how you're influencing people. And that ignition is a lot more permanent than, you know, a teacher will have for somebody just saying, okay, this is how it's done now, step two, step three, you know, so I'm just putting that out there. The, the, the and then you're right that the venue what, what we've created and now again it's 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 autonomous it, it is now self-sufficient um it needed kick-started uh there like i said before there was nothing there so damn it i gotta do it if i want to see it and um and it took care and feeding i mean initially I, I joked that the whole reason dallas hackers was successful was in the beginning I bought, it was, uh, we met on when, first Wednesday and Wednesdays at the first place we met happened to be half price wings. So I bought a bunch of wings every, every month. And, and beer, I think you said too. And yeah, some pitchers of beer. So, uh, and yeah, I know that some people only came for that and that's fine. But uh, um, yeah, after that though, it, it's, it's amazing. The, I am very proud of the people and what they've, done and taken with this. I'm mean, seeing people give their first talk ever uh, and that leading to a local con talk and that leading to a DEF CON talk like with the Uber kitten. Uh, absolutely amazing. But then you see we have Dispora all over the world now. Uh, both coasts of the country and in Germany, former member. Uh, and that's the other side of it too because it's not just a generic community these people become your friends and when friends leave it is very traumatic <laughs> and that's what this industry does yeah. you know um we we have virtual friends like we've met up online and no matter what we'll, we'll be virtual friends but once you've been a in-person friend and now have to keep that as virtual 
it's it's rough. <laughs> right. See these folks like Uber Kitten, like uh, Lit Moose, like Bubbles, like a bunch of people that have just, <clears throat> you know, gone and done great things. I think that we're in such a great time that at least we can keep in contact with those people and still be able to be involved in their lives and in some way, you know, to kind of still be connected. Um, so what would you say, I feel like there's so much, there's so many people out there who have the ability within them to be mentors, <clears throat> excuse me, to impart their wisdom, to like share what they have to offer, right? And it seems like that's what you have done. I don't know that there's an answer. Like, how do we, how do we promote people to, to be those mentors for the new people coming in? Yeah, I, I don't think there is a way, like you said, uh, you know, everybody has their difference. Nick was mentioning, he felt mine comes across as passion and that passion could, could be a form of mentorship. If that's the case, then yes, I, you know, cause I, I have not really just taken somebody under my wing. You heard the story of, of whiskey uh, at that Pone school. And yeah. he, he's said the story many times that he was in a very dark place and this probably saved his life. Yeah. But not just that, everything that he has from a, a, a professional standpoint came out of DHA. When he came down here initially, he lived with us. You know, that was probably the closest thing to taking under your wing. It's like, no, you, I would do that with anybody that needed something. But it wasn't, it never felt like I was taking him under my wing. He was just somebody, you know, helping somebody that, that he's, I knew he was going to be amazing. And he is amazing. Uh, at the very end where I was totally wasted <laughs> on the phone school, I started talking about his, we, we talked about his, his citizen journalism. And if you get a chance to go look at his YouTube videos, it's amazing. Um, okay. The, uh, but I do want to insert something here. And this is very, very, uh, well, I won't say it's necessarily selfish, but it's self-serving. Uh, he, it's been announced that his, his, his job is being eliminated. His position is being eliminated. So he has one month to find a new job for us to keep him in Dallas. And we, I can't imagine this, uh, the Dallas without Whiskey Neon. So if you know of a Dallas or remote position, absolutely. Whiskey Neon, hashtag hire whiskey, which I think fits for this podcast. So absolutely yeah. hire whiskey. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely um, do our part to, uh, to get that out there. Yeah, I would, I would like to see us get him something. Yeah, so the, the, there's these people that have, you know, these stories because of what DHA has become. Um, but how, how you, your initial question, how you, how you go about mentoring somebody, I do it by just doing, I think. Um, do you, would you, so I think that people who just like, how do we, people who have the ability to mentor people that maybe think that they, you know, we have, a, we have a lot of, um, of imposter syndrome in this community. <laughs> yep. And um, we actually, our, our last podcast was about imposter syndrome. It hasn't been released yet, but like the, we, we talked about that a lot. And like, you know, there's probably a lot of people out there who would be good mentors who don't realize that they would be good mentors. Like, and I think we use that word mentor and people think of it as like being this really grand thing that like you need to, like you said, like you think a mentor is somebody who checks on somebody every week and who's constantly following up and somebody who is super consistent. And um, I'm sure there are people out there who think like, oh, I can't be a mentor. I've only been in this, you know, this community for a couple of years. I've only been working, you know, in InfoSec for a couple of years. And I feel like, what do we, what's the, what would you say to people to, to recognize that they can and should mentor others that are coming into this. Yeah, and that's really a difficult one for me in that I, I, I don't like the term. It, it implies a, a power structure. It implies mm -hmm. a, like you said, I know something and you don't, and I'm going to pass on my knowledge. And I've never felt that type of relationship. We can call anyone. it whatever else you think we yeah, should call but, it. But with that, I've never felt that relationship with anyone. I'm always learning as well. Like, in, right. even if it's just from teaching, as you said before, the best way to learn is to teach. I've, I've, I've taught at the past three North Texas ISSA cybersecurity conferences. Cool. And I've never learned more. Uh, and it, honestly, I, I've started having to take like a week's vacation before it. 
<laughs> just to, just to, to make sure I have all the I's dotted and T's crossed. Yeah, and I still learn on the fly. Uh, but so that's I don't see that power dynamics. It's and really, I would say the opposite. Don't mentor. Try to be uh, vociferously inclusive. Yes. The more inclusive you can be, basically you're pulling people into it instead of trying to push it onto them allowing people to come in naturally and pulling people into it, you're going to absolutely, if you're that person who is not gatekeeping, you will be the de facto mentor because you let them in. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It makes complete sense. So essentially we should all be ambassadors. Absolutely. Yeah. We should, we should all be just that you absolutely nailed it. I think like we need to all be, open when there's a new person that shows up to a meetup, to a con, um, to Twitter even, you know, like we, we should be accepting. I feel like we need to just, in my life, I've always tried to just accept blindly until somebody proves that I shouldn't have done that. Right. Like, so, and yeah, sometimes you might, you might get people who, you end up finding out who the assholes are, if you will. And then you feel out, you figure out quickly who the real people are. But when you just include everybody and you kind of accept everybody and you open up the gates to, to let everybody come in and go, yeah, we're here. We're, we're welcoming you. And, you know, we have free beer wings, like come and join us and, and be a part of this. Like, um, yeah, you're going to get some of the people who probably don't, don't deserve to be there and don't deserve that. But then you're going to get even more, I think that do deserve that. And those people, when you invite them in, it's been my experience that like when you just blindly like accept people, the people that deserve it, it makes a difference to them because they may not have otherwise pushed to, to join that, that group or whatever. So I think that, yeah, you're right. It's, it's more about being an ambassador for InfoSec and in accepting everyone than it is necessarily that word mentor. And, and I think that's what differentiated DHA from the existing groups at the time. <clears throat> Things have changed quite a bit over these seven years. But at the time, there was an exclusivity about it. If you went to a 2600 or a DC 214, I'm not saying it was, you couldn't get through it. I did. But there was definitely enough of an inside click that you felt like an outsider. Right. And that was difficult to get over. And if, if you didn't have enough confidence, you wouldn't. Yeah, that. for some people that just would have been like the the, yeah. the done deal, and they would have left and not yeah. pursued it. So, I'm like, and I appreciate that. Like, I, like I want to like almost thank you for that because I feel like for those of us who may not have pushed through that and pushed through like that click, um, you know, they would have just been like, oh well, this isn't for me, yeah. and turned around and went the other way. But you also need to foster that. And that's one of the things I, 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 I've, I've failed at this every time I've tried, tried to describe it on, on a podcast. So hopefully this one will be different. <laughs> uh, but you also need to foster that exclusivity. There has to be a reason that your group is special, why people want to come, why people want to be part of it, that makes them feel like they are part of something unique and special. So you have to define yourself. Uh, you know, and I, I don't like define definitions. I don't like, but there has to be something or you're nothing. Right. Right. No, and so, totally makes sense. so what you want is you want to be very inclusive where people come in and they feel immediately like they're embraced, but also that they want to learn more about things to make them part of that core group, to make them part of the whole and to continue coming and be parting, being part of something special. And walking that balance to me is the most difficult thing about building a community. If you don't have anything unique, why would anyone come? Right. Because but you except, also are, yeah. Exactly like what you said, like, you know, when you kind of said, I'm going to, we're going to start Dallas Hackers and there were other groups that were like, we don't need another one. We have, we have enough. Yeah. But you were able to define yourself in, in a different way. I think that's, I think that's amazing. So I do have one question that I had in the back of my head. So tell us about, um, obviously DHA hole is your, Twitter at right, yeah. which I'm assuming stands for Dallas Hackers asshole. Yeah. So, um, we, and we and we tag ourselves as NSFW, so you can say whatever. <laughs> but so I'm totally curious, like because obviously, like we've been talking about 
mentoring people and being ambassadors for um, inclusiveness and everyone is welcome and kind of a lot of like butterflies and rainbows. We love all the people. So tell me, <laughs> where, where does that come from? The, the, the reason I have that handle is because you said it NSFW, some yeah. asshole has wirefall in Spain from like 10 years ago and has never posted. Uh, I've, oh, I've, so DM'd, I've DM'd and offered money, no responses, <laughs> it's just a dead account. And of course, Twitter, I've, I've owned wirefall.com since 96, I think, and had a DBA as, still Twitter doesn't care. Yeah, so I, I came to Twitter later than a lot of the folks I was around. And uh, so it was after DHA had started. We had a, the, the genesis of the username came from Tinker was doing a presentation, one of those from his back pocket in our original venue right. on a, basically it was some, I don't know which platform it was. It was some zero trust secure email platform. And so he wanted to do a live demo. And so I'm standing there. He's like, DJ, what's, I mean, uh, he's like, Wirefall, what's your, what's your, what's your email in front of everyone. Right. So I'm, I'm not going to give him a real one. So I gave him, I was like, uh, DHA, and then it just kind of came off my tongue whole at wirefall.com. And everybody laughed. It was a joke. And uh, so then when I was signing up for Twitter, uh, tw Wirefall was taken, and I'm like, the hell, I'll be DHA whole. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, you know, like, you know, the name that I go by is Ushi, and Ushi is totally taken from somebody who's never tweeted before. Mm. So... <laughs> I, I get that. That's funny. Well, very cool. Well, I think we're um, we're closing in on our hour. But like um, Nick, Steve, did you guys have any questions you wanted to ask? I my um, drinking fucks with my ADD. So as soon as I start <laughs> drinking, I'm totally done. No, I can't. Like mine went the opposite direction. At the beginning, I was sober. My ADHD was kicking my ass. But now that I'm drunk, I'm starting to feel it. Right. <laughs> um. So I was going to ask, um, what is Telesploit and where did that come from? Like, how did that get oh, formed up together? Thank you. Uh, yeah, so, so Telesploit is a side hustle that I have. Uh, really, what it, it is, the, it's a platform for performing penetration tests, vulnerability assessments, whatever you want to do remotely. Uh, we send a box. We can do VMs. We, we recommend sending physical hardware out to a site. They plug it in. It calls home. I won't go into all the technical details, but uh, through through the uh, cloud, and so no matter where you are in the world, no matter what kind of device you're on, you can connect in and perform your tests. Now, it's what what is that? That's a lot of talk for a Dropbox. Oh right, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so so uh, I, was, I was looking at it a little bit in the GitHub, and I was noticing you still base it off the of Kali Linux. Yeah, that's that's yep. the base. It can be anything that supports System D because there are some, some features there that require system D that could be ported to anything that's that, 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 uh, Telesploit GitHub is an open source version right. that, uh, we, we give out and it's really nothing but a bunch of scripts to set up the solution that will work for you. The, uh, so we have the open source, we give back to the open source because we're built on open source, but the, the, the genesis of, of the company really was, I've, I've been doing Dropboxes for probably eight years now. Uh, most of them in the beginning were surreptitious drop boxes for social engineering engagements on physical, you know, sneak in, uh, hiding, hiding. I used to hide a uh, Wi-Fi pineapple Mark II inside of a surge suppressor uh, power mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, drop it behind the, uh, the copier, boogie out. Now you got 3G access in, into the network. But uh, I was building this out and uh, my, my wife, I, I, Put everything online on how to build it before the github on my my blog and my wife is like you know this this is this is a business <laughs> and i'm like no no you know I, I put everything up online it's 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 not rocket science it's ssh you know reverse ssh uh, tunnels and and tls uh tunnels um she's like no no this this is a business and um i kept saying you know there's nobody's gonna pay for this she's like well you said it wasn't rocket science right like, yeah, she's like, so anybody could do this. Yeah. So this is a business. I'm going to do it and I can get somebody else if you don't want to do it. Uh, <laughs> yes, I like her already. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. 
but uh, but is it really we are uh, a logistics company that ships a security device. So what we the what value we provide is you don't want your testers who you're paying lots of money, um, maintaining hardware, software, standing in line at UPS or doing any of that kind of thing. You tell us where a box needs to be, who needs to access it, and we make sure that happens. When you, you know, say testers, going to save on travel costs too. Absolutely. You know, instead of having a pen tester show up there. Um, and then right now, I think right now you have the perfect environment for this product. Almost perfect. It, it's definitely seen an uptick and we have a great thing, but there are some clients who there's nobody there to plug it in. <laughs> yeah, we have to coordinate on getting somebody to go into the office and actually plug it in. So give us a little more though. Like, so when you say like testers, exactly what does the box do? Well, it's a, it's a, by default, a Kali Linux install. So a pen test platform. We, uh, uh, give you root access. It's just like if you, if you were sitting there. So it's if you had a Kali laptop and you were sitting on site, everything you could do from that, which is penetration testing. You can run the <clears throat> install Nessus, run vulnerability scans. Uh, we have an organization that's just reached out to us and we're going to be doing a deployment for they, they want to move it around to different sites to do inventory management because they have no idea in this organization they just bought what's out there. Um, it's going to be very flexible. Uh, we, we, we've looked at pivoting as well into um, basically DFIR, uh, doing, doing uh, incident response. Yeah. So if you have an incident, we, sh we basically overnight a, a box, get it in there, get it starting collecting data before you, until you can get a person in. Gotcha. Um, so, yes. Very cool. And where can, so if somebody is interested, where could they find that? Uh, the the web page holder, it's not a great web page, is telesploit.com. Or as Nick said, we have a, a GitHub for the open source version, nice. which is just github.telesploit. So. Very cool. Yeah. So, okay. So I do have, like, I always ask this question. Um, so a lot of the people that listen to the podcast, um, that re at least the ones that reach out to me, are people that are either very new or getting into InfoSec or trying to get into InfoSec. And um, I, what, what um, advice would you give to somebody who's, who's trying to get into this, this business? It, what I say every, every time I'm asked that is don't get into InfoSec, <laughs> right? No, no, bring something to InfoSec. And really that's what we need. I, I, I am so tired uh, of the new, um, newly minted cyber whatever people only have been taught or spoon-fed specific infosec type information. Well, security doesn't exist for security's sake. Nobody does security because they want to do security. You know, a company doesn't do security because, hey, security looks cool. Let's do security. They're trying to secure something. They're trying whether it's applications, networks, uh, your, your physical security. Find your passion and bring something that knowledge into yes. infosec. Yes. You know. I love that. Yeah, and then you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a leg up on uh, on anybody else as well because there is going to be a need to secure X, Y, or Z, and you have the background information on that. Also, it makes you more competitive. Yes. To those long in the tooth like myself, where I'm trying to learn a bunch of the cloud and automation, but if that's what you have grown up in, if that's mm -hmm. your native territory, you're going to beat me every time. Yeah. Find your passion. I think it. I think. I think find your passion is so important. Not even just, I think it's important everywhere. Find your passion because you know what? Like there are so many people that get into InfoSec because it's, it's trendy and it pays well and people think like, oh, I'll get into it and I'm gonna make a lot of money. And then they get into it and they just don't have a passion for security. And like, if you don't have a passion for security, you're not going to enjoy it here. <laughs> You know, like if you don't have a passion for whatever it is you decide to get into, you're not going to enjoy it. And so I think like find your passion is like the best advice you can give anybody, regardless of what you're trying to get into. Like it, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, some kid coming out of high school, find your passion is, is just such good advice. But and, and a lot of that, a lot of those lessons to me uh, for probably the first uh I would say almost 30 years of my life was finding out what I don't like, <laughs> you know? Oh my God. Amen. Yeah. I'm on like my third career and I finally got into something where I'm like, Oh, I belong here. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 
you know, I, I worked with somebody years ago. I, I was a firefighter paramedic for a long time. And, um, and one of my, my favorite uh, partners said to me, you know, we expect 18 year olds to come out of high school and know what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. Oh, hell no. And it's <laughs> like, when you, <laughs> when you think about it like that, like, what the fuck? Like at 18 years old, we barely know, like, how to sort our laundry. <laughs> I don't think I had my first logical thought until my 30s. I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. All right, I, I just turned 40, and I'm not going to grow up until next year. So. <laughs> right. I'm 41. I figure at 42, I'll know everything, right? Well, that's the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Well, Wirefall, I'm so thankful that you joined us today. This has been such a fun hour. Could, could we do another one sometime in the future? Absolutely. Uh, and uh, uh, maybe I will pick the whiskey. Absolutely. Next time it's, it's, it's totally right. in, yeah. This one was very good, though. I, I do. I do I, you know, it was, I like, so when I, when, when I interviewed Tinker, we did Larceny Whiskey, which is a very mid-shelf brand. And um, we, it, it ended up being like very good. I hadn't tried it before. Um, Tinker wasn't sure. He thought at first he said, I don't think I've had it. But then he thought maybe later he had. But like it's, it's a great whiskey bourbon to have like just kind of out. And, and this I think is, um, I like it. Plus, I'm just, I'm like a huge fan of the heritage. I like that it's been out for so long. And, and I just found it. I love when I find things and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And just kind of with, with the, the times that we're, that we are, like, I thought it was really neat that I just kind of stumbled upon it, but, um, oh my gosh. So thank you so much. Does anybody have anything else before we, before we wrap this? I was going to say, it's wonderful talking to you, Wirefall. I'm from, uh, a little town in your area where you're, you're at. I'm from Weatherford, Texas. Okay. I had no idea there were any there was anything like this in North Texas. So uh, awesome. Well, when things open up, we'll look forward to seeing you. <laughs> well, he currently we lives in Deadwood. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I like yeah. living here in the mountains now. So yeah, I'm I'm originally from the Northwest, and the one thing I moved down to the Dallas area in '99, and the one thing I have not said since moving here is, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh my gosh so i just want to like to wrap up i think um you know the whole point of this and and what i was that what i was going for was the whole mentor um vibe and i feel like i feel like every one of us regardless of who we are and how long we've been in in infosec if, if you've been in security for any amount of time and somebody comes in after you, you have a, you should feel like you have a duty to just kind of accept that person, help that person. I remember when I first started getting into, um, like before I got into InfoSec, I was in computer forensics um, in law enforcement and there was a lot of gatekeeping. And I would um, reach out to people who had more knowledge than me in my area. And I would get a lot of wall, I would hit a lot of walls where they didn't want to share their information. And it always felt like to me <clears throat> that they thought that like the knowledge was going to fall out of their heads if they gave me some. And I, it, it was very frustrating. And, you know, when I had the ability to be able to give back, I always tried to just be as free with my knowledge as possible because I feel like the the more that you give other people, um, honestly, you know, the more you get back. And so I feel like people need to be reminded that if you're part of this community and you've been in InfoSec for like half a second, but somebody comes in that's been here for a quarter of a second, give them the knowledge if they need it. Um, and just kind of give that freely because that's, you know, when they take knowledge, every, like you had mentioned earlier, Wirefall, like, you know, everybody has a different perspective. They have, they have different knowledge. And like, when we combine our knowledge together, it's kind of open source. I keep hitting my mic. It's kind of like open source when we combine our stuff together, you know, like that's where great things come from. And so I almost feel like we should have, we have a, we have a duty to, to be ambassadors and to accept everyone and, if somebody needs knowledge, like 
fucking be there for them. Like be be that the be that person. Wonder twin powers activate. Amen. <laughs> right? Yeah. So the, and even if you've not been in security at all, when you come in, um, mentor the security people. Like I said, if you're bringing in, yes. you, you have uh, understandings of uh, uh, physical security controls. Yeah. Uh, you know, unite those two, bring them together. The, uh, but I'd also like to say, even though there is definitely gatekeeping still in InfoSec, uh, it used to be much, much worse. Uh, yeah. But even though it is really, you brought up earlier, like being an open source project, we really, I think, as a culture, have become closer, and that's because of the hacker background, which is very open source, yeah. uh, that we are very lucky, even though this still does exist, there is institutional gatekeeping, um, there is institutional racism, there is institutional ageism, there are all these things we need to continue to work on. We are so lucky, because like my brother-in-law, who is the business uh, guy for Telesploit, he comes from, uh, he comes from recruiting and uh, and resource management, uh, human resource type thing, and 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 coaching executives. And he he comes out to DHA and he's blown away. He's like, you guys share everything. Is that their conferences are all about trying to one up each other and not sharing anything. You don't share your contact list. You don't share anything with anyone that, that's an advantage <laughs> to you. And he's that's just so blown scary. away by how open we are and how much we share. Yes. Yeah. I definitely think we are in an amazing age um, where we do share so much. And, 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 and I'm gonna say like people like you who have, again, it's creating an environment for people to be able to share things and, and you're, you're setting an example that others are following. And I think that's, that's just amazing because you know, if we all just gatekeep and hold that information in our own heads, um, like, yeah, that's great. And you might have your own little, you know, half an inch niche of whatever it is that you know, but like, it's, it's not going to progress until you share your knowledge and others share their knowledge. That's where we start to have like real progress. So I think that's awesome. Uh, to, 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 to use the, the business term synergy. Synergy. We just triggered Nick. <laughs> Fuck. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I think um, this is a great stopping point. I just want to thank everybody who's listened. Thank you, Waterfall, for joining us. Um, gosh, I hope that I'm, I hope I get to make it out there soon and we get to meet in person and sit around and, and, and have this conversation again, but in person. Absolutely. Maybe we can do a, a InfoSec whiskey from Dallas Ackers. Fuck. Yes. <laughs> that would be cool. Oh, yes. That would be fun. We'll all get into a van and travel. <laughs> Look forward to seeing you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, everybody who has listened. We appreciate you. And um, everybody have a great weekend.